Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Impactful Minds podcast, where we highlight the voices and work of Rare Beauty's first group of ambassadors. My name is Seika Brown. I'm a mental health researcher and your host for today. And I was also part of the Rare Beauty program. Um, however, today we're joined by Sin Gomez. And Sin, I've actually known you the longest out of all the ambassadors in the program. I mean, we met back in like 2021 in Washington, D.C. It was the first time I was ever in D.C. Um, and so I, you were just so, you were always just so friendly. I mean, the, the moment we met, I was like, okay, this is someone I can actually like stick close to because everyone else was like a bunch of adults and I was really afraid. So you being here today means a lot to me. Um, I'm super excited to talk to you. So just please like feel free to introduce yourself and just give some background on kind of the work that you do. Of course. Yeah. Hi, um, I'm Sin. Uh, I use he and they pronouns. I am a student at UC Berkeley. Um, and yeah, I study social welfare and um, have some minors in race and the law and Spanish. And I think all of that um, is fairly indicative of the work that I do on like a larger scale. Um, but yeah, as uh, Sika mentioned, we have been working together for a really long time and it's been really great. Um, mental health was originally one of the main spaces I started to get involved with when it comes to like activist work or really anything that centers community or organizes around a shared identity frankly um and yeah what that work has kind of morphed into a lot um recently is legislative support providing you know advocacy and testimonial and frankly just doing a lot of intersectional work when I'm called to do it and make sure that conversations and spaces and movements are inclusive of multiple experiences and uh, really just uplift community needs in a way that makes the most sense for a community at a given point. Um, yeah, a lot of mobilizing that I've done recently is not only with like rare beauty and, and educating folks about my experiences and what it looks like. One, one example of what mental health can look like, but also dreaming and collaborating for um, mental health justice for folks that are disabled and folks that are coming from like a lot of the shared identities that I hold. So being Mexican or Latino or Chicano, um, mm-hmm. being trans and, you know, just uh, really helping break the cycle of seeing and managing and responding to issues on an individual basis and really strive to see how we can recognize each other and be in community when we're doing this kind of work. Yeah, I mean, I think I remember, honestly, we had like a very small amount of conversations when we met back in D.C. for the first time. But even in the ways that we've had our first conversations, you honestly helped me like talk about my identity in a way that wasn't always so heavy because I feel like identity conversations can be so heavy sometimes as they should be because like they're really important. But you made me feel really comfortable talking about it. So, I mean, I think you do such great work and you've always done such great work, but um, and you've been doing this work at such a young age. So maybe you can share a little bit and talk a little bit about what it's like to advocate for mental health by sharing your story and your identity and your experience, because those things can be really difficult. It's one thing to talk about mental health, but it's another thing to be vulnerable about sharing your identity. Um, so yeah, maybe like if you can talk a little bit about that and kind of why it's important to do so. Yeah, it's definitely really hard to just be open to share. Mm. Um and seeing for me the fact that I wasn't alone in this struggle even just in my family was really empowering I knew that regardless at the end of the day my sister and my parents um in some variation would know what I was going through and be able to support and 
Um, I think that having that foundation was really impactful for me being supported in this aspect of sharing and finding power um, and speaking truth to power when you're face interfacing with like organizations or legislators or all these various spaces where you're sharing something to folks who have the power to do something about it, I think was really it it for me it was about going beyond the statistics and going beyond what yeah. is known and doing also in a way decolonial work of you know seeing that shared and lived experiences are equally as valuable as empirical knowledge and um i think that that really set the tone for me and starting that work early on was really hard but i think recognizing that i was being able to meet folks where they were and share knowledge about things that they hadn't gotten the chance to think about, whether it be other students or, um, you know, policymakers who didn't yeah. hear young people's voices. You know, this was also when we were starting to see March for Our Lives happen. Um, right. Started. This is, you know, a moment where youth were starting to speak up. So I think it, what my role was in all of that was doing and advocating for that intersectional work because we were already young people were already changing the ways we were having these conversations already um but i think that for me it was about just being very radically honest about what really sucks and what would be helpful and being willing to dream and like imagine a world where we actually respond to these crises and we actually invest in making sure that our young folks are like mentally well and if mm -hmm. they aren't we're treating it as the crisis that it is and responding to the crisis that it is so I think right. that I, I I was feeling a lot of the urgency of the moment and for me mm -hmm. I've always really loved oral storytelling and just being able to share who you are in a way that is radically different from everyone else like is it's your lived experience is going to be unique to you so you inherently yeah. have something to offer to a collective of folks that are wanting to do take action on whatever the issue may be but mental health was in particular a really powerful place to start because I wanted to have the conversation about my racial identity and my mental health and right. then what that meant to also have being queer and trans on top of that and seeing mm -hmm. all the intersections of inaccess and cultural stigma come into play I had to talk about it and I was frustrated with the fact that there weren't many other folks willing to have that intersectional conversation at that point. Right. And we've been able to see how that change over the last couple of years. It's made my job a lot easier. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and yeah, I'm very glad that, you know, I started when I did. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's very powerful to be trusted in these spaces um, to share that. So I think for me, it's also about creating a sacred space where we're able to just be honest with each other and say right. shit sucks and we <laughs> deserve better. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I would have to say in response. Yeah. I mean, I love what you said about being radically honest. Like that's such a great way to put it. Um, and I think a lot of people, I mean, sometimes I even experience it now still. I mean, I think you and I both have been doing this work for such a long time, which is kind of crazy to think about because we're getting older, but um, yeah, there is something to say about being radically honest. And I think when we were young, perhaps we just kind of went into this and saying like, this is important to talk about it. But I think the more I'm able to reflect on all of the things that I've been up to and all the things that you've been up to, I'm like, yeah, no, like this is a really radically honest conversation. I think it's super encouraging 
um, to see more young people kind of step into the field and step into the, the spotlight to talk about their experiences. Um, that being said, I'm kind of curious to see, like, how has your work changed over the past few years? I mean, compared to even 2021 to 2023, I'm sure you've seen both successes and failures throughout it. So, I mean, has it changed a little bit since since you began? A hundred percent. And I think that's how you really tell when someone is, you know, responding to the times that they're in. Um, for me, you know, I definitely started the mental health work um, referencing and not knowing how to go beyond the statistics. So I think that's yeah. why I'm so um, insistent, insistent now about moving beyond that or having that just be a component of the conversation that we're having. Because right. what are we going to be doing about, you know, the folks that aren't being surveyed? What about the folks that are scared to interact with these institutions? What about there right. are so many gaps that we have in our current approaches um and I mean I don't need to be saying this to you as a researcher but um I yeah. think for me um it's looked very different with the amount of access of to knowledge that I've gotten over the mm -hmm. last couple of years so when I was starting in high school I was really only working with what I could google like what right. I what was accessible to me at that point my experience and the statistics from like the Trevor Project or Mental Health America right. um and I really, it, it took coming to a space where where there is access, coming to college where, you know, everyone is, it, on my campus in particular, yeah. I am in spaces where um, we are having these cutting edge conversations and thinking, you know, right at the edge of what is known and what is the goal to learn more. Um, yeah. So I think having not access to theories and, you know, revolutionary thought, also being right like in shared spaces that the Black Panthers were or wow, just yeah. how much radical history is in the Bay. I think I channel mm -hmm. in that into a lot of the work that I do now because I'm tired and I'm sure a lot of organizers are too at this moment. Um, yeah. And really just tapping into that historical framework of resilience and knowledge sharing and empowerment has been really crucial for me. Um, and become a more central component because once I started to think beyond just mental health in, in its bubble that it can yeah. be in, um, once we were starting to look at the webs, the interconnectedness of mental health um, and various other lived experiences and mm -hmm. impressions, it was really hard to deal with that. As someone who has right. like, anxiety and depression already, like starting to in a sense, catastrophize. Like, you know, yeah. there are so many fires to put out. Where do we even start? I think right. that that was where I saw college come into conversation of my my like mental health work is, is being open to grapple with all of these things at the same time. Um, and now yeah. as, as my work has kind of shifted over the last couple of years, um, I think for my, my role now in the mental health space has been about educating and bringing the theoretical into the practical and how we can embody the radical ideas um, that a lot of folks, you know, haven't gotten a chance to see in fruition because a lot of times these infrastructures and institutions didn't want to see that change, um, even though right. it's what could offer a lot more for the mental health space and so many other issue areas. Yeah, um, that's really true. So I think 
now my job is to be a navigator and like conductor of various issues and a facilitator of space when it comes to looking at mental health and like various other shared experiences um and I think most notably recently it's tapped into undocu advocacy and Mm -hmm. um and unhoused communities and frankly like just disability access for students in college so trying to broaden the conversations that we're having or rather just make mental health a component of all the conversations we're having um, right has been a lot more of my role now so before it was just statistical and you know having it be a conversation now it's how do we make sure all of the conversations include this yeah I mean I think I'm I mean I'm a first gen student um and uh I'm constantly shocked by uh the more information that I'm learning I mean there's something to say about like the fact that I'm able to be a researcher in the first place like I think very similar like to you when I began my work I was only talking about what I could talk about. Like the only things I could, I knew was just my own experience, my friend's experience. And that was it. And especially going to a place like Cornell, where there's so many opportunities and there's so many resources. The fact that I'm a researcher in this now is kind of hysterical because it's just, it's not, it's not what people expect. Um, and like, it, I'm thinking about going to grad school. And so now I'm like struggling with the, the next level of resources because I have no clue how that process is like. And I'm just constantly kind of realizing how much, like, you know, how many disadvantages there are in these systems and you don't even realize it. Like, I didn't know this when I was a freshman in college, but now I'm going to enter my senior year next year. I'm like, wow, there's like even more disadvantages that I didn't know. Like there's more things. Like, I don't even know how to put a loan down. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, so there is so many things. And I think there's something to say about the more educated we get, the more we realize that there's so many different uh, like intersections, like you were saying, that aren't covered. There's people and voices that are constantly silenced and it can definitely get really overwhelming because you do this work, you know, ever since you're like 15, 16, whatever. And you're just like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, we've moved forward a little bit, but there's every, feel, I feel like every time I take a step forward, there's more fires to put out and it gets, yeah, it gets really overwhelming. And I think that's why I'm really grateful that there's people like you in this field that, you know, I can relate to. And at least we have each other through this. But I think what you're saying, especially in the terms of lived experience is extremely important. Um, I know you just did like a live stream with Mental Health America on Trans Day of Visibility. Um, So, I mean, can you talk a little bit about what lived experience is and like why it's important to talk about that, especially perhaps for the trans community? Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, it even just plays off of what you, what you said right now of, you know, to a certain extent, we only have each other. Um, and yeah. the way we have as like a country or state by state responded to mental health crises or, you know, the things that contribute to a mental health crisis, like right. food or housing insecurity or um, inaccess to uh, government resources and all, mm-hmm. all everything that could be supportive and the gaps, the ways it isn't, it is an extremely frustrating experience. And when we look at you know, the lived experience of it, that is the only way we can learn about what the gaps are. It's like Mm. from the folks, unfortunately right now, because we are existing in an ecosystem of, like you're saying, we respond Mm. to crisis. We don't anticipate it. We don't plan ahead very much. Um, And I think that that's, you know, the most frustrating part of all of this and what that looks like for for trans folks or or why we were talking about mental health and, and that live stream on Trans Day of Visibility was because for us, it's about, you know, 
thinking beyond survivability. We shouldn't just be right. in in the framework of as long as people are alive, we're doing good. If that yeah, that is the bare minimum. And um, yeah, wow. For me, it, it was about really inhibit or sorry, uplifting um, mm-hmm. the mental health moment that we're in as trans folks. I've been seeing mm-hmm. a lot of TikToks talk about how we are in the seventh stage of genocide. And mm-hmm. I don't know theory surrounding genocide in, in well enough to speak on it. But hearing that, that fact alone can right. be uh, like paralyzing because you're like, how can I exist in a space that is fundamentally wanting me to not? Um, yeah. So I think that was really powerful for me to hear and that kind of gave context as to why I said yes to that mental health America um live stream because how are we making sure that our community is safe and cared for throughout crises throughout Mm -hmm. genocide because the fact of the matter is it's happening right now and what are we going to do about it what are we hoping and dreaming to do to save each other to take care of each other and I think that that solidarity and mutual aid uh, component of it was something that I really wanted to uplift in that live stream too, because the only reason I have been sustained in the spaces that I have is because I have that community, because I know how mm. to, I have the language to say, this is too much for one day. I can't keep looking yeah. at this. I can't keep thinking about this. I can't keep working on this. Can someone else step in? And that framework of, solidarity and showing up for one another something that I've really seen in the trans community come up time and time again um and when we're looking at trans folks and the mental health crises the two are are synonymous and we've seen this Mm. for the entirety of my lifetime but this is something that you know once trans folks were able to live there were infrastructures to make us unable to live um once we had access there's been a complete movement for inaccess and I think you know just the sheer fact of knowing that you to a certain extent are an enemy to your society yeah that's that's inevitably going to affect your mental health so I think if for me I wanted to move fa- move past the point of like fear and right. paralyzing realization to empowerment mm. And what what the ways you can channel your anger, your frustration, your sadness into movement, into the ways that, you know, for queer folks is in our blood, is in our history and is a part of fundamentally who we are as a community, because all we have is each other. So making sure that we're taking care of each other holistically, including meeting your basic needs, including making sure that we have access to resources that sustain us like, um, like like therapy, like movement, like so many ways to take care of your body and your mind Mm -hmm. um, is something that I really wanted to make sure was a part of the conversation. So when I had the opportunity on day of visibility for us to not only think about the the, the debilitating stats of how many bills are coming out against us, about how many attacks we're seeing and really see, hey guys, I know this is really terrifying and I'm with you. I am really scared Mm -hmm. too. I am really frustrated. I am heartbroken that this is where we are, but this isn't where we have to stay. And let's right. think about ways we can transform all of these feelings, all of these um, experiences into power is something that I 
I'm hoping to organize folks at this point. And mental health is a central component to that because organizers and students and researchers and everyone who contributes to a part of that work is going to burn out in this system of like capitalism and constant grind. That's inevitable. So how are we responding to that? And how are we kind of in implementing systems of sustainability, sustainability to respond and stand up to the crises that we're facing? Yeah, I mean, I think what you said, especially about the difference between just like surviving. And I think we've kind of created a culture or perhaps we're forced to create a culture of surviving is the bare minimum. And that's the only thing we need to go after, which is a terrible place to be because you don't want to spend your entire life just surviving day by day by day by day. And if that's the only thing that's being created by, you know, this culture that we have, especially the infrastructures that we have, then what does it, is it really, is it really welcoming? No, it's not. I think especially being on the East coast, I mean, I'm from Seattle and I think you're from the West coast originally as well. Right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So like being on the East coast for, um, like all my college career so far and hearing about these bills that are getting passed over here, it's kind of mind boggling. Like, I think I grew up really lucky kind of coming, you know, from Seattle, this place where I feel like there's a lot of welcoming communities. This was a conversation, but I'm realizing the more I get into my education and the more I meet people, I'm like, wow, this isn't even a space for people here. And not only is it not a space, there's things being implemented to prevent spaces. And I think that is crazy. Not just the fact that it doesn't exist, but there's this type of prevention to make sure these spaces can never exist for people that are just people. And I think, yeah, just being on the East Coast, I'm realizing kind of more like the access to resources that we had on the West Coast. And I'm like, wow, this is something that I didn't even realize I was privileged to see. And I think that's a really eye, you know, eye-opening experience. So I'm glad that you were talking about the differences between surviving and just honestly being able to live your life because there's people out here trying to prevent that. And it kind of makes sense that like, you know, of course this is something that's affecting you. And of course it's something that is affecting all people. And even a person who's not trans, like I can see this and be like, that is terrible. And how, how do we like include, you know, people into these spaces? How do we create these spaces? How do we advocate against it? I think that's a big question. So I don't know if you have any, any tips or, or ways that we can kind of go against these types of laws, these types of bills, these types of conversations, because on the East coast, I think, especially we don't really have those types of resources. So if you have any advice, please, please do share. Yeah, I think my advice would be to frankly a lot of the times is to really hone in on the individual work it takes to show up to a space and say I don't know what like if you if you're new to it I don't know what's happening but I I see like the people in my life in this example trans folks really struggling um and it can just be as simple as that showing up and saying, I want to learn about this. I care enough to invest in knowing what's happening and mm. showing up in a way that makes sense for you and offer the the skill set that you do for that movement. I think right. one of the biggest things is like, or this conversation is an example of it. Mm-hmm. Like research is a crucial component of knowing, right. of tapping into that information and being able to use that and say, hey, you want to like create these ecosystems of violence around us yeah we're gonna learn everything we can about the oppressor and we are going to learn it 
fully respond fully and um I think that is a very empowering framework to be starting from is learn the landscape learn what you be open to tap in when you can and tap out when you can't and harness that language and cultivate it frankly because it's hard to say once you've opened these cans of worms and know about them I I need to stop for today like that is Mm -hmm. also radical work because it's sustainable and you're responding Mm. to your mental health and you're responding to your community and saying I can't show up right now but I am here for the long haul so when I can Mm. I will be back and being committed to that I think is really important and I think being willing and and radically open to sit back or be the body on the front line because that's the biggest thing that has always existed in these ecosystems of solidarity is showing up acknowledging the privileges you have and using them to channel the systems that are harming us if a Mm. white man were to come in and say he cares about um abortion access about trans rights okay cool I love that you care about this. Mm-hmm. Now, what are you going to go say to the legislature? How are you going to tap into your networks of knowledge? Yeah. What are you going to, how are you going to step up and show up for this space? Mm. Um, is like the most important thing for me. And I think that's the advice I would give for also the sustainability of it. When you yeah. have cl- like more access to privilege, you also have the opportunity to tap out and not see the effects of you tapping out so I think really being invested in the community that you're showing up for is also a really crucial component um for this work and yeah I think organizing has been siloed for really long um mm-hmm. so show up and share what your community like the role of your community in certain right. spaces so if like you know for me being a Chicano mm-hmm. is also like recognizing migration in my history and migration in what mental health looks like for folks that are migrating or have migrated to various places or diasporic mental health like what does that look like for us that are separated from our homelands and really just I encourage folks to find the ways in which they are embedded in the work already because Mm -hmm. that's how we create an ecosystem of shared knowledge of shared experiences and of shared mobilizing so really seeing yourself and to a certain extent like that is selfish showing up because it serves you in a certain way but that's where we are in this moment and that's what is going to get the most folks on the same page and right. ultimately if you're able to show up and not have any identity and be 100 percent, kudos to you but the reality <laughs> yeah. is a lot of times that is an incentivizing factor so find the ways you're connected and the ways that you're already embedded in these movements and tap into that i think that that's something really powerful that a lot of times folks weaponize against yeah co-conspiring for justice you know I don't have mental illness so why would I show up but no right what what does your community's mental health look like how is it showing Mm -hmm. up in your family because the thing about mental health is it is health it is a degree of health so if it's well amazing if it's unwell you can show up. You have an yeah. understanding that mental health is a universal experience, just like physical health. Absolutely. And whether or not Absolutely. you're experiencing crises, whether or not you are experiencing mental illness or mm-hmm. anything in the short or long term, you know, you are inherently a part of this conversation because you have health. <laughs> and yeah, it's exactly. hard to explain that uh, because 
you know, folks think they have to have the most extreme experiences, the most crises, the most to show up. And no, those are often the folks that are left completely out of the conversation um, because it's too hard to grapple with. It's too hard to think about as a legislature, as a nation, as whatever it may be. So learning the landscape and finding out ways that you can channel your privilege and mobilize with community um, Mm -hmm. is like fundamentally the steps that need to be taken and ultimately are the hardest to really just know how to know where to start, know how to stay in the game and know what success looks like. Because the biggest thing with like coalition building and movements is knowing what's what your measure of success is going to be and what that looks like for mental health. It can look like so many things. It can mean access to, you know, westernized medicine. So Mm -hmm. can everyone have access to therapists? Is it right? are, Are we offering um culturally uh, institutionalized resources like yeah. like body movement like herbal medicine like is that having equal standing as western medicine is it right. equally okay to miss a week of work because you know you need to come you need to go through some spiritual cultural journey in that time for your mental wellness is that equally as valuable as being on psychiatric leave and in a mental hospital how are we de- dismantling like the medical carceral state of folks who are you know um admitted involuntarily to these spaces there are so many axes that we could jump in on (laughs) and it's about being willing to look at the whole landscape and pinpoint where you're gonna jump in um and i think it's it's significantly easier said than done but i think just knowing the processes of mobilizing is a really powerful step and oftentimes what's most gatekept in these spaces because Like, I don't know how the fuck I ended up at Rare Beauty and Mental Health America, (laughs) but I'm there. So we're going to and we're going to tap into it and challenge these spaces to think more radically because they've invested in us. So let's do something with that. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's like that's so that is so true, because I mean, the same thing, like sometimes I take a sec and, you know, look back and I'm like, I don't know how the hell I got here, but I'm here. And I mean, I I think about it because we have a really big um population on campus that celebrates Ramadan and that just finished like five days ago and I'd never really seen that before where we've had people and professors for example be so intuitive and you know thinking of these students who are are celebrating this who are partaking in this and I think it was really interesting to me to see you know perhaps you know I'm not Muslim I'm not you know practicing this however there's ways that we can make space for this respect it give into it learn a little bit about it and so I'm like seeing like oh I'm this space is now challenging me to think about something I haven't thought about too much before and I found that really really encouraging um but I think you're exactly right to say is that when we're also entering spaces there's ways in which we can engage with it even if you're not right even if you don't identify as x y and z you can see that other people do you can see and look into your family and like look at it and be like oh like you know what someone in my family one of my friends someone in my community experiences this let me learn um there was this one small story that i wanted to tell you was that i was doing a event well I was kind of doing a research interview um for someone within my work and she was from Malaysia and she was saying that she watched um the I don't mind some I don't remember what it was called but we did I think we did that together like maybe uh, not this past October but two Octobers ago and she was saying that because of that conversation she was able to kind of think about her identity a little bit more and kind of engage with the few people and she knew from Malaysia that were thinking about their identity, people who were identi- identifying as trans, who 
in that country, like, it's just so difficult to talk about it. And I think it's so beautiful that now with this type of resource, like post-COVID, things like Zoom, things like this, where we're able to engage with each other and encourage conversations, not just inside our communities, but outside our communities and not just within our nation, but outside our nation. So, I mean, I think that was just a really beautiful experience and small story that I've heard in the past where, you know, this person just listened to you speak and they were, were like, well, this is something I need to speak up about because there's people in my life that, you know, experience this and I'm going to speak up about it too. So I don't know. I just thought it was like really amazing. And I think it's just super beautiful. I mean, like your work has always been so encouraging. That being said, I mean, if you have a story that you can share in which like, you know, it's a time in which you realize like, oh, the work that I do is important. Um, do you have a story in which you realize that where that came to your mind? Yeah. Oh God. That one, I'm so freaking happy that that was something like someone took away from, from something I said. I think um, that just, it it seems so simple and like redundant, but to be open to start having that conversation is such a big step because really like is. we've already said, it's opening up a can of worms. It's having hard conversations. And mm-hmm. for many of us, it's also how do we get the hell through the cultural barriers that came yeah. more often than not, not even from our culture. Uh, it's a very much so a settler, like very much Eurocentric, very much like, yes colonized way of thinking so how do we start there as colonized people as people who are diasporic and and away from our Mm -hmm. homelands and how do we take that back so I think that that is really beautiful and I'm so thank you for sharing that um and I think it just continues to happen um Mm -hmm. to answer your question for for (laughs) a moment where I realized because for me I I think even just recognizing the opportunities I've had is It, it shocks me every time so I think when we were able to go to DC um that was probably the first time I was like oh shit we're doing something big literally um, same so <laughs> yeah. yeah I was like I'm going to DC to talk about mental health holy shit okay um uh, so I shout out to Mental Health America because that was a, a really Truly. beautiful experience to have um Yes, I think one. I, I think another moment more recently, I guess, would be that that trans march in D.C. that I was able to speak at. Um, right, that on, was last on day month, of visibility. Right? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Was, um, so I think that was really powerful for me because I was able to see the ways in which we could have all of these conversations at the same time. In yeah. my speech, I not only wanted to talk about the moment that we're in right now as trans trans folks and trans youth, but I wanted to push the conversation towards hope towards Mm. coalescing towards ensuring our wellness and investing in our collective success um yeah because ultimately right now we are experiencing multiple crises and i don't need to name that i'm sure most folks can feel it in their body feel it in their mind feel it in their spirit um but i think for me it was really powerful to be in dc and think about how much embodied knowledge I am able to bring to that space and what I'm yeah. able to offer for my community. Absolutely. That aspect of hope and that aspect of, of resilience that really keeps us going through these moments of darkness because it's mm-hmm. nothing new, but whether or not you have ancestors to lean back on for sharing that knowledge and being able to ensure that we are strong enough to keep this movement going is really foundational. So I think when we look at the leaders in disability and mental health, we also need to look at 
you know, how much of our knowledge is thrown away, has been erased because of these institutions that would rather not see, you know, mentally ill folks succeed and thrive and live um, because it's it's not within the confines of what's an acceptable and yeah um an, an acceptable but also a profitable body in like this country in particular so I think when we're looking at all of that it was really powerful to see that to be amongst other trans folks to be amongst other disabled folks to be amongst yeah. other mentally ill folks mm-hmm. and sharing all of our experiences holding all of it at the same time and I think it was really beautiful kudos also to um the queer youth alliance um because they held it down for that um right holding all of that space to talk about all these various mental health uh, psychiatric lived embodied historical knowledges that we were all bringing into that space so I think really looking at all these landscapes, you start start to see the common thread of violence and start to see the common thread of resilience and the right. ways in which, you know, our struggle is not linear, but yeah. we are consistently finding strength and finding new ways to tap into our mental and physical and spiritual wellness to keep us going. And I think yeah. that DC was a really powerful moment where I was able to reflect on all of that and I think for me, the biggest hurdle in all of these spaces is, is yeah. coming with it, coming into them with grace and coming mm-hmm. into them with confidence because, you know, we know what we're talking about. You're a exactly. researcher. I'm <laughs> someone who's like called into these spaces because we are trusted as navigators of this knowledge. Right. And I think that's the hardest part to grapple with because <laughs> I've, first of all, fuck imposter syndrome, but she's a constant. No, and- yeah, fuck imposter syndrome, truly. <laughs> And like getting to a point personally where I'm able to be like, yes, I am called into these spaces because I am someone who carries knowledge is a movement that I have yet to make. Um, but having folks be there and remind you is the the aspect that most of us need most from community. Yeah. And I think, you know, you and I have that that pretty consistent ecosystem of like, hell yeah, look at yeah. you go. And that's that's a part of the ecosystem that I've been able to jump into, but none of that would have been possible without these moments of access and these moments of being trusted to share that knowledge. So um, I think it's all really beautiful. And I've realized my work is impactful in very small ways, um, just being Mm -hmm. invited to these spaces because, you know, these are spaces where those oftentimes white, oftentimes men, oftentimes yeah. very privileged are interesting me to talk about things. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna take this fucking mic and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you regret giving it to me because <laughs> yeah. you're not gonna like what I have to I have to say, but this is what my people are asking me to do. So I think right. that is where I am. And I think really being unafraid to take the mic um, and share the mic is something that I am mm. currently at. And I really am grateful for the spaces that not only make space for me, but make space for those of us that have never been included at the table before. Yeah. Because our work day to day is to pull up a chair at that table. So when you're mm-hmm. actually holding it out for us and saying, come sit, come talk with us. Yeah. And being open to the oftentimes criticism that comes with, you know, embodying these experiences and sharing yeah. out what it's meant is really hard to hear 
um, because it's from, from that perspective, you know, you don't have to listen to these things. You can choose blissful ignorance, but to really yeah. challenge yourself as an institution and as an individual to think beyond that. Every time someone has invited me to that space to to have that conversation, it boggles my mind. So I think it's hard to name yeah. experiences um, because it's it's a it's a constant for folks who haven't had historical access to those spaces. Yeah, but really doing so with grace. And with, mm-hmm. you're pulling up a chair for me, bring three more because I yeah. am not the most marginalized. So what about them? And where are right. you? I'm, I'm more digestible, more understandable than them. How are we making sure that they are included in the conversation too? Is like yeah. what I'm hoping to bring to those spaces. But um, when it's already embodied and already there with panels like we had at Mental Health America or the speaker list that we had in DC um, yeah. at the Trans March, those spaces make it, easiest to really show up and be like cool collectively we have a shared priority and we're willing to speak up about it let's do something with that yeah it's been each moment is just I'm, I feel it like eternally grateful if my career were to be this point of where we are now I would that that would be enough for me because someone in Malaysia wow. someone from Malaysia was able to to get something I've done my work someone is yeah. able to express and embody their knowledge and I think that, yeah. that is something that's very powerful and I think we oftentimes like to think in um positionality in terms of you know how many spaces are we able to be directors in how many spaces are we able to be at the top right. of these of these institutions or these spaces and how do we embody change from top down but no yeah. for me even these, this grasswork, grassroot organizing that we've seen, you know, Mental Health America wasn't always Mental Health America. Rare Beauty yeah. wasn't always Rare Beauty. All of these spaces can't stem from the bottom up. And right. how do we continue that legacy? And how do we continue expanding who is included in that is something that keeps me going in my work and ultimately keeps so many horizons open for me yeah. and why I... I continue to do this work until I am no longer needed and I will tap into other spaces where I am needed. Yeah. Um, and just being willing to be a navigator like that is something that yeah, I'm really, beautiful. I I would love to keep doing for as long as I can. And these opportunities to do it, um, I'm eternally grateful for. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really beautiful. I think you're so right to say that there is, I think, especially now we're starting to see both this top, you know, top down versus bottom up approach. We're seeing it on all sides. And I think the example with this woman from Malaysia is a perfect one. And I also really appreciate that you're talking about how, I mean, you kind of said that a little bit ago, but like how, you know, we have this colonizing mindset that is taught into these countries. And so I think a lot of the conversations I've had abroad, they're like, this isn't our culture, but this is our system. And this is because our system was taught to be like this, but this isn't what our culture actually is. And I think it's such an important, small, yet big thing to talk about. Um, so I really appreciate that you're bringing that up. And because I think, you know, I remember we both were inspired by, you know, because we're like, okay, we want to get to the top. We want a chair there. We want to have these conversations. And we had to start, you know, start, you know, bottom up, but now we're also in this kind of top-down approach. And so, I'm, I, you know, I see, I see that as growth. Um, you know, not just in mental health, but for all people who is advocating for all different things, we're slowly getting there. Um, and I just think it's extremely encouraging the more that we're able to talk about it and the more that we're able to approach it. I mean, I know like I, I'm constantly in contact with that woman from from Malaysia and she has like a son who just entered preschool 
And there's so much hope for her that like, this is the world that her son is going to be raised in where these conversations are slowly happening. And she's like, where, where is, where is her son going to be? You know, when, you know, he's 20 and like when he's our age, like perhaps, you know, it'll be completely different. And I think there's something to say about that is that because you're pushing to bring more chairs to this table, you never walk up to the stage. And, I, and this is very, very sin of you. I was like, you know, you are going to go there and you're going to bring multiple chairs. You're going to say, you're going to listen to multiple people. And I think that's just such a powerful thing that you do, especially. And I think that is extremely encouraging. So I'll ask one last question. Um, in true spirit of rare beauty, rare beauty does something called rare reminders. So if you could tell anyone anything this mental health month, I mean, what would you want them to know? And what would you want them to take away, especially now that we know that people listen? Yeah, I think. Gosh, that's so hard. Um, <laughs> I know it's really think, putting you on the on the spot, but uh, you got this. <laughs> yeah, I think I would really want folks to get that like rare reminder that that you carry your ancestors and you carry your history and you carry your love with you, and you should move with all of that. You should yeah. approach the spaces carrying all of that and finding power through that. Especially for me, when I think of when I have really bad, like depressive or anxious episodes, that is oftentimes what is most helpful is knowing yeah. that you are not only the fruits of so many folks' labor before you, but you are mm -hmm. also in a position where you deserve to rest, you deserve to mobilize, yeah. you deserve all of the good things that come with community and kinship and care. Mm -hmm. And finding the folks that are going to offer that to you is out there if you haven't yeah. found it already and if you if if this is the first time you're hearing something like this or you're you know thinking that these movements are separate from yours or mm. um anything like that I encourage you to find strength in coalition I encourage you to find strength mm. in ancestry and I encourage you yeah. to find strength in listening to your body and finding holistic ways of taking care of yourself. So Absolutely. I think, I, yeah, it's hard to give one reminder, but that would be the general encouragement <laughs> or support yeah. I would like to offer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that is so good to hear too. I mean, I think when, I don't know, I look at, I look at myself and I'm someone who's always like on this go, go, go attitude. Like there's, I, I always feel like there's not enough time. Um, in the mm -hmm. sense that we need to do all this work and we need to do it fast. Um, but this aspect of like, you know, like you're talking like rest and grace, I think it's such a beautiful narrative to put out there because it is hard work to go out there and speak about your identity, to speak about your ancestry, to speak about what's important. But there's also this, there is space for people to rest. And I think, I think that's really beautiful that you're pushing for that. And I, and it's completely needed, especially, you know, for mental health month, but also just like in general, Right rest is so important and it's part of this journey and it's part of this process of making this kind of a better world and a better society for everyone. Um, so yeah, I think that's really beautiful. That being said, um, is there places where people can come and support you and your work? I mean, do you like just go ahead and share your Instagram handle or anything that you're up to where people can follow you and keep up to date? Yeah. Uh, I definitely think Instagram is probably the best place to get knowledge about what's up. Um, at least for me. So my Instagram mm -hmm. is the Sin Gomez. Um, you can get some like very delayed professional <laughs> updates if you follow me on LinkedIn with the same handle of the Sin Gomez. Um, 
And if you care to know, you know, the random thoughts I have throughout the day, um, <laughs> oftentimes relating to mental health or my personal yeah. crises throughout being a college student, you're welcome to explore my Twitter if you would like. And it's the same <laughs> handle. Um, definitely my most consistent space is Instagram. And I would love to hear from anyone who wants to keep having these conversations because like I, both of us know, mm-hmm. this is just each each iteration of us you know meeting and talking and sharing our knowledge is an opportunity to have more conversation with the folks that listen to us so i would love to hear from folks mental health has been the most consistent pillar of my work um and i take a lot of of pride in that and i would love to keep doing this work as long as i'm needed or Mm -hmm. um invited to the spaces um so yeah i would love to be in contact with folks if they're interested in at all yeah i mean and i will say i mean i think like i said there's so many stories of people out there and if that's just one of them that was shared about this woman from malaysia then i know for sure that there's even more people who are who are impacted by your work without you know honestly without us knowing and so um thank you so much for your encouragement and your time i'll make sure to add all of your things in the bio of uh, this episode but sin thank you so much for everything and just thank you so much for being a great friend um this truly this space and this work would have been so much harder without you and i think just in the past two years of meeting you i mean you were like the first like activist like, person that i've met like outside of like school i guess like so it really meant a lot when i met you um it really made this entire journey feel a lot less lonely so i really appreciate all that you do on a personal standpoint but i also just appreciate all that you do for everyone out there so Sin, thank you so much and i hope you have a wonderful day